0: Today, I just want to really leverage the, the holiday of Thanksgiving. Probably, even if you're not a Christ follower, this is going to be a helpful conversation for you. There's going to be something in this that you're going to be able to apply in your life. Although I imagine nothing I say is going to be all of that all new. It's not going to be very shocking to you. And isn't it too often in our lives that there are things that we just need to be reminded of as much as we are instructed about. I can you teach you some kind of Greek, I need something new, but oftentimes God would say, I, I've shown you what you need. Walk in obedience. You can give everything you need for life, you've got to that Walk in that. And that's why we need things like anniversaries and holidays. It reminds us something that we know already to be true. We just need to walk in that. And isn't it is also true that there are folks that we would meet and they would have certain characteristics or attributes or traits that you would look at that part of them and say, man, I wish that was true about me. So, for example, let's say you have someone in your life and they're a teaching person. They're able to encounter difficulty along their path and they don't lose their love of mind and mind. And you're like, man, I wish that was me, like I want that to rub off on me, I want that to be something that's true about me. Maybe it's not patience, but it's generosity. You know, they're not quite fixed, they're able to just give of themselves, the time, the talents, so the treasures, to help somebody out. And you see that. and Like, I wish that was true about me. Maybe it's not generosity, but sympathy. it's empathy. This is a person who can enter into the joy and the pain of someone else's life and just love them well in the middle of that. And you would experience it and say, I wish that was true about my life. That might be kindness. It might be intelligence. It might be leadership. I know for me, as I encounter colleagues and I see them navigate through their ministry, through their lives, they make decisions based off of what they know to be true, even when it's not popular. And so I would say I want that to be true about me as well. But I make a decision because it's right and not because it's something that's just going to win me brownie points in the eyes of somebody else. But I want it to be true about me. So it's a rudder for me. And I'm certain as well that if, if we stop and we think about people that we love to be around, you'd probably say that someone, you'd look at them and they, and they have a heart of, of gratitude. They have an attitude of gratitude, and you would say, I want that for me. I want to have that kind of attitude as well. They have the ability to go through life, and they're not just taking things for granted, but they are able to navigate with great joy and energy and passion And it's one of those things that when we see it in somebody else, that they're a grateful, thankful kind of person, it's powerful, and it's attractive, and we want to be around them. The thing is, we can understand, hey, this is something that I've learned about before. I know that it should be true, but when we stop and when we look at our lives, I mean, I know for me at least, I would look at it and say, you know, I I don't always live that out. I'm not always successful in that area. I want it to be true, but it's not always that way. So before we, we, we step into this Christmas season and we start an Advent calendar, we just want to stop for a moment to think about gratitude. Something that we all want, but can often be absent from our lives. When we think about gratitude and kind of what, that's look like, what that looks like, here's, here's how it may show up. And someone that we are supposed to. So this is to be a person that's full of thankfulness, gratefulness, joy, peace, and kind of overall positivity. So this is a person that's thankful. They're thankful for their opportunities. Deep in their heart, they know that what they've been given is a gift from God. And so they're just they're not going to take that for granted. It's this internal realization about something they've experienced that comes as a blessing to them, and so they, they get that on the inside. But I would argue with you that gratitude, its all it is is thankfulness on the inside, and it never comes out and it's never expressed, is really not what we're talking about here. Because it, it needs to be expressed. Simply having that internal feeling is not the same thing as being a person that has gratitude in their life. You know, conversely, you know, you you can express gratitude, you can be a person that says, you know what, I might not feel it right now on the inside. Like on the inside, I'm struggling a little bit, but it's going to come out of me in such a way that I'm going to speak to my own heart something that I want to be true. So for me, uh, one of the ways that I, I try to walk this out, and sometimes I'm not always successful, but... Uh, oftentimes when someone says, how are you? I'll just say, I'm blessed beyond measure. I'm blessed beyond measure. I may feel that. I might feel that deeply inside, or I might be struggling with a foul attitude on that day, and it's still as equally true, and so I speak it so that it comes out and it's expressed and my ears hear it, and I'm like speaking to my own soul. Go through the Psalms, and you see David do this time after, the, after time. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He's speaking to himself. Now, here's what can happen. is that oftentimes we listen to ourselves way more than we should, and we don't speak to ourselves more often than we shouldn't. Right? So, so, like, i got to stop, and i got to say, I know I'm not feeling this, but I'm going to choose to speak it to myself. So I'll say, hey, I'm blessed beyond measure. I said this to a little old church lady one time and she couldn't hear well. I said, I'm blessed beyond measure. She goes, You're stressed and (laughs) displeasured. She heard it a little differently than I meant to express. I said, No, I'm blessed beyond measure. It needs to be taken and externalized. I love my kids. I love. I love working with students, but I've seen that in the adolescent brain, sometimes this is not a connection that's always made. That there's an internal reality and there's an external reality, and I can feel thankful, but it actually has to be expressed through gratitude and how I interact with the world around me. And so it'll often play out like this, like you're at Thanksgiving dinner, you're at Christmas, this is a time of blessing, this is a time where you should be delighted, and you look over at your teenager and they just... You know, they had like a sour look on their face and they're concerned, like something bad happened. No, I'm fine. Do you have gratitude right now? Like, your grandma just made it real for you. Like, you used, to, you used to be grateful. You just got this gift for Christmas. Oh, no, I'm, I'm really thankful. But their face betrays them. This internal thing that they may or may not feel never came out and was never expressed. That's, that's why gratitude has to include this aspect of, of joy, and it's not it's not simple like happy, happy, joy, joy, like the happiness, like circumstantial things that are happening right here, but it's this deeply rooted, in my soul, kind of joy that comes out, but people experience it, and I have an enthusiasm, I'm excited about life, it's, it's born inside, and it comes out, and so this kind of person would also have peace in their life as well, that's another characteristic that no matter what happens in life, good or bad, they would say, you know what, God's been so faithful all my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so good. God, I can have a peace that whatever's going to happen, I'm going to be able to navigate that. And so, as a result, they just have overall positivity for how they engage with the world. They're a glass-half-full kind of person. And it's that this feeling, you know, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. And what I know is when you find someone has an attitude of gratitude like that, they're just better to do life with. They just are. Like, that's the kind of person you want your daughter to marry. It's the kind of person you want your son to marry. It's the kind of person you want to have for a boss or to move in next door, that person that's always exuding those kinds of attributes. They're better to do like with. But let's be honest. Someone who has, like, the opposite of that, they're not, they're not thankful because they're they're not grateful, they don't have joy, they don't have peace. They're the opposite of that. If you're honest, if you're really honest, you just, you just want to punch them. Like, you want to punch them right in the face. And you don't, because Jesus is in your heart, and so, Scott, we don't do that. We don't do, but you want to, because they are just miserable to be around. I mean, they're cynical, they're bitter, like harder harbor that. It's just, it just, it oozes off of them, and they're frustrated. But when you find someone who just has an attitude of gratitude, you want to go on an eight-hour car ride with them. You want to have a family vacation with them. Because they're just overflowing with it. And it can't help but rub off on you. You want to marry this kind of person. And listen, if you're if you're engaging with me on this and you're a Christ follower, you would say, I want Jesus to be happy. He, I want to smile. I want my life to be guide, guided and directed by God. If that's you, that you'd want to bring glory to him, but I would say this, that having an attitude of gratitude is not just something that you should do or that you could do, but it's something that you ought to do if you're a follower of Jesus to define who you are. And what I want to do is I'm just going to hit, like, kind of go through a number of passages in Scripture. It's Thanksgiving weekend and land on a story Where God teaches us about this attitude of gratitude. So check this out. Why should we be grateful? Psalm one eighteen, verse twenty-four. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So let's say, Jonathan, that I came to you and I said, Hey man, I'm gonna give you five million dollars. Do you want five million dollars? Yeah, sure, of course it says that, but I said there's one catch. You don't get to wake up tomorrow morning. Do you still want five million dollars? He's thinking. He's thinking. You cease to exist. You're dead at that point in right? the He says no. He says no. Good choice. Thank you. Good choice. It's just going to go another direction. <laughs> if that's going to be the case. The answer, the answer for any of us is no, right? Why? Because waking up in the morning is worth more than $5 million. And what God's Word tells us is, Every day that God gives us is a gift when we get to wake up. So rejoice, be glad in it. Because not only did, did God give us life, but listen to this next verse. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. He is good. The way that I used to say this when my young kids were younger. Around the dining room table, do you would pray? I say, God, you take good care of us. God in mercies, me. God, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. You are good. You wish good. You never leave me. You are faithful. Your love endures. Every morning, God, you hand me new grace. Every morning you're there with me. God, you are good. We have gratitude. Because we get to wake up because God is good to us. And then listen to this. We have gratitude because of other people. Paul said it this way in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. One of the best things about the seat that I get to sit in. When I'm here and we're preparing for worship in the morning before y'all get here and the team members show up and I'm playing guitar, I get to see families walk in and other people just greet them. It's good to see you. And we get to experience other people's lives. I'm still saying, you know what, I I, I really was struggling here, but I'm seeing God teach me this in my life. I didn't believe in Jesus, but now I think I'm, I'm starting to understand this. When we start to experience the fruit of God's work in one another... He says this is something that causes us to rejoice, and we are vastly different people, different backgrounds and ethnicities, and yet we can come together and be one in Christ and have this together where we encourage each other in the faith. And he says this is the thing that it gives us joy. I and mean, then God says something in Philippians which kind of rocks all of our worlds. This is what he says, Philippians two fourteen. He says, "Do everything without grumbling." Or arguing. Now, you parents are like taking screenshots of this right now for your teenagers. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. It's like if you're a Christ follower, you should not be someone who other people experience you as a constant drip of complaint and gripe and argument and disputation. And, and you're just that person that drags everybody down because everything's negative. That's so what Paul tells us. So Paul tells us. Ephesians 5 always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single thing you and I have that we get to experience, all of it, we should be giving thanks because nothing that we have. That's good in our life. is not a gift from God. Everything we should be grateful for. And just in case you haven't been hit between the eyes yet, this is what God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all. That, that word all is really fascinating. If you dial that back to its original Greek language, you know what all means? It means all. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. It means all. There's nothing to it about that. In all circumstances. And you think, well, but Scott, you don't know how hard my classes are. You don't know how pigheaded my spouse is. You don't know how difficult the season of life is. In all circumstances. Yeah, but you didn't have to spend Thanksgiving with my in-laws. who always came back to this political issue. as such a pain in the head. In all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, what's interesting to me is it says give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all things. Question: Does that mean we give thanks for all things? This is not an easy answer, by the way. When you stop and you look at God's word, Romans tells us that we should hate what is evil. And there are things that we experience when someone sins against us and it's evil. And this isn't like just blind optimism. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Humpty dumpty. Like, no, that's not it. That's spiritually irresponsible. You can bypass the legitimate mourning and grieving that you need to walk through when someone commits when, when someone evil against you. And there's evil that's like, coming out of you. And there needs to be a mourning. There needs to be a grieving. And I'm not thankful for those things. But the glory of the glory of the gospel and the glory of a relationship with Jesus and the glory of a relationship with God means that I can give thanks in all circumstances. And how is that possible? I can I can have something happen that I'm not real thankful that it happened, and yet God says, "You should." This is what the brother Jesus James says. He says, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds." That's what those many kinds of trials are going to be. Those are going to be someone doing something wrong to you that you didn't deserve. That's going to be a family member struggling with a mental illness. That's going to be your sin issue that you just keep struggling with. James, James, is that going to be a physical issue? That's going to be a sickness? Many, many, many trials. I'm so glad that God included that in James all-encompassing, and we can go through that, and we can, we, can, we can experience something as a Christ follower which is absolutely mind-boggling, that God says evil is going to happen to you, there's going to be things you experience in this world, and it's going to be really hard, and you can call it what it is, but here's what I'm telling you, I'm telling you that I have victory over the grave, that the tomb is empty, and that means that evil does not have the last word and the loudest laugh. And that when you follow me, I'm going to take even the darkest things of this world and I'm going to use it to refine you and to make you a better version of yourself. And it's going to be hard, but then James uses this word, he says, because it's going to develop in you perseverance and endurance. And it's going to develop in you, and I like this word a lot, this is not his word, this is my word, grit. It's going to produce in you grit. And that when you're tied to God and the God of the universe that works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, and even when it's evil things, you call it evil, God, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't, this doesn't delight you, and yet, God, I know that you're going to walk with me. And so that means that I can actually be thankful in all circumstances. Even if I'm not thankful for all circumstances, and and Paul says this isn't optional for us. That's that's not like you get a pass because what's really hard for me. No, he says this is actually the will of God in your life. And I have lots of conversations with people who say, "Well, I want to know what God's will is in my life. And should I marry this person? Should I start this business? What should I do?" And they look for the rustling of the leaves to find out if it's God's will or whatever. You want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt what God's will is? Get in all circumstances. You keep looking for God to bless you and to show you something new, and He says, I've already told you what you need to do. You just need to walk it. Like, I want obedience out of you in this area. It's God's will for you. Goodness, goodness, goodness. So, what's God driving it here? Well, I'd sum it up this way to say that gratitude should mark God's people gratitude to mark God's people. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm thankful you're here. There's lots of reasons why you should be thankful. But if you're a Christ follower, if you're engaging with this, you have, above all other people in the world, you have more reasons to have thankfulness and gratitude because you know Jesus and the defining mark of someone who's a Christ follower who follows after God is that they're thankful. Now, if you're if you're like me, you know you hear that and you say, "Yeah, I know that should be true," and yet, oftentimes, my heart drifts from that because it is just easier to complain. Like I did not have to teach my kids to complain, and I don't know why, but there's just something in the heart of certain adolescents. They come home, and the first 15 minutes of every day is like, "Here's everything that was terrible about my day, and my teacher was so, and my friend did, and the, you know, the weather also like." That can happen to us as Christians. Like our prayer time becomes, what's wrong with your life? What's wrong with your life? What's wrong with your life? Rather than saying, how can we thank God for how he's carried you through this season? How has he provided for you? Let me encourage you to persevere in the middle of the storm. And we can step in and we can complain about our HOA and the coach that didn't put my kid in. And there's this drift that happens in our hearts. So how do, we, how do we get away from that, and how do we write our own hearts? Here's what I would say to us as we think about how to get there. It's going to sound negative, but I don't mean it to be negative, and it's simply this, that God doesn't owe us anything. We have to start at this place where we realize God doesn't owe us anything. We have to come to grips with that. Because we live in a very man-centric world. Where our approach to God is, here's my arms out. God, you just need to give me the car and fix my dishwasher and hand me this Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Like, God, this is what I want from you. But newsflash, God doesn't owe us anything. You're not the center of the universe. He is. He doesn't owe you the 401k or healthy kids. He doesn't owe us a single thing. He didn't owe us Jesus, and yet he sent us Jesus, not because he had to, but because he wanted to and because he loved you. And when we approach God and he say, hey, God, give me what I deserve. Yeah, some of you all know that's a dangerous prayer. What do I deserve? Oh, goodness. God, you're good to me, not because of what I deserve, but simply because you are a gratuitous good God who pours out blessings on me. We have to get away from this. God owes me. And this is the way I wrote it in my notes, that gratitude will begin where entitlement ends. Gratitude will begin where entitlement ends. And when you start to realize that, that that what I deserve is condemnation, but when God gives you his grace, oh my gosh, God didn't deserve that. That's your mercy. My goodness. It It starts to change your heart. Men's food. Entitlement. Now that's hard to get away from. I, I I remember a Christmas season and my kids were a little younger. Their lives are different now. I now have two adult children. Who you just turned eighteen. It's crazy. Two adult children now. I remember when they were when they were younger in Christmas time. man, it's it's hard to navigate that with your child's heart because what are they told? Every single Christmas movie is this, something happened to Santa, all the kids of the world are not going to get there. Presents, we've got to save Christmas so that the kids can get there. That's <laughs> what they're taught. And so I remember at Christmas when Santa was really, really little and he had just opened up all these presents. He goes, okay, where's my next one? Happens with like, you punk, I'm taking Christmas away. like, no way, dude, you are so entitled right now and everything you get is going to be broken in a week anyway. It's just this constant mindset of I'm entitled to it. But when I deserve and when I expect nothing, everything I get is grace. And isn't it interesting that the person who is most entitled is the person who's it's their birthday. Like right? it's my birthday. I should get the best parking spot, everyone should defer it to me. But when it's not your birthday, and someone says, We need a gift. And you know what? Save you the best parking spot and I, should, you know, I was, you know, just I just surprised. You're like, Oh my goodness, this is the best day ever, and you're so grateful, and you've got gratitude coming out of you. But it's when I expect nothing, when I deserve nothing, everything I get is grace, and there's nothing more to you than that when it comes to our salvation. Jesus did not have to come, but he came because God was pouring out his love. He's pouring out of his love. And as C.S. Lewis calls it, he's the hound of heaven. And he's coming after you. God's goodness is not just knocking at your door, His goodness is running after me, you just say. My goodness. But we have to get away from entitlement. And we have to start seeing God's grace. And there's a story that just shows this so beautifully. So beautifully. And I want to look at this together. We're going to close out looking at this. This is a very unique kind of message just on a Thanksgiving day. And I want to see this embodied in this story. In Luke chapter 7, such a profound story that here we are 2,000 years later sharing the story of a woman we don't even know her name. Luke chapter 7, this is page 705, and I want to encourage you to grab the orange Bible in front of you. Open to page 705, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. If you don't have a Bible or if your Bible uses language that's weird to you, take one of these Bibles and it's our gift to you. This is what it says. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 and and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven." him. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing her. And you didn't put oil on my head, but Jesus put perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. And whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, well, who is this who even forgives sins? So Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go and I just want to look and think about the Pharisees. Simon was his name. He's entitled. He was a person in his community of reputation. He would have been a teacher in a small town. And often, what would happen is when there were traveling rabbis that would go from city to city with a word of exhortation for the believers in that area. That re, that. The Pharisee would open their home in a courtyard setting, would welcome the community into that environment. They were a person of reputation. They were a person that would say, here, you come into my house. I am worthy to host you. I am worthy to open my home to the community. And they would sit down and they were recline, and the rabbi would speak instruction to that community. And he opens his home to Jesus and he's got an attitude of entitlement. I'm worthy of it. Contrast that with this woman who says it's exceedingly sinful. She had a reputation around town, but it wasn't good. She probably was a a woman of ill repute. And she would have been outcast and scorned in her community because women were seen as property, so to be exceedingly sinful, that she would have been disposed of, she would have been scorned, she would have walked down the street, and people would have jeered at her, walked away from her, they certainly wouldn't have welcomed her, and certainly a Pharisee would not have welcomed a woman like this to her home. She was used to other people just treating her like trash, until one day she sees a traveling rabbi, and when every other man had looked at her to use her, Jesus looked at her and gave her dignity and respect. And she smiled and delighted because she was born in the image of God. And listen, even if you don't know that you believe in this Christianity, stuff, you should want to follow Jesus because this is a man who took the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and gave them dignity over and over. That's where we get our whole ethic from, that we so espouse and hold up now of seeking after the oppressed. That's a reason at that time, you only used people and abused people when you were in a position of power over them. And Jesus gave her dignity, and she experienced that. And she was so overwhelmed. She has so experienced the grace of God. What else does she do? She doesn't step into that state. She doesn't make demands. She doesn't go, you know, this is not really my preferred meal. Uh, do you have any other food? Uh, what, a silly, what a silly table setting this is. They should change the paints in this place. didn't do any of that. She fell on her feet, and she just started weeping because she had experienced the grace of God where she was simply undone by what she had been forgiven. Here's my point. We've got to open our eyes to understand that we're one of those people in that story. Are you the Pharisee, or are you the woman? A lot of times, I'll act like a Pharisee, and he will. But in truth, I'm a woman. My my sin makes me worthy of giving out. My sin makes me worthy of casting out. And yet, Jesus forgives me, and he gives me dignity, and he looks at me and says, you're my child, and I love you, and I'm fond of you. And he gives that to. We've got to open our eyes to see God's grace because when we see His grace, that leads to us showing gratitude. And the story of the woman anointing Jesus' feet shows us that there's this direct tie between our ability to see the grace of God through forgiveness in Jesus and the kind of love and gratitude that just pours out of us. In fact, I would say it this way that when you see it, you'll be it. You see grace, it will lead to showing gratitude. And here's an illustration of what I mean. What I mean by that, so let's, let's imagine you go home, and on your way home, you know, you go out to eat with your family or some friends, and you say or you do something that's just stupid. You're an idiot, you offend other people, and the person is like, oh my goodness, that's the most offensive thing, and you really hurt that relationship. And they make the decision, I'm going to forgive you so that our relationship can move forward, and they choose to absorb that. Now, here's the thing. If if you know that you are in the wrong, if you know that you screwed up and that they didn't have to forgive you, but they did because they love you, they care about you, I guarantee you the rest of the evening, you're probably going to be kind to them. You're going to be like, hey, let me give you a cup of hot tea. You pick where to go to eat. It's okay. Let me grab your sweatshirt for you. Like, you're going to be grateful. It's going to come out of you. But if you're an idiot, they forgive you, and you have this thought process. Of course, she has to forgive me. She's my wife. Or, of course, they have to forgive me. I mean, I forgave them last week. I don't, don't think that sometimes we don't do this kind of stuff. Or, or they have to forgive me. I'm just kind of like this. If we have that attitude, and certainly what's going to happen is that there's not going to be gratitude coming out of you, and the rest of the day you're going to be grumpy, you're going to be frustrated, and you're probably going to end up sleeping on the couch. No one wants to be around you. Here's the reality. If you see it, then you're much more likely to be at seeing grace. Leads to showing gratitude. And we can stop, and we can see, God, you've been so gracious to me. In the middle of everything, God, I have running water. I want you to just stop, guys, and think about this. Like this morning, I walked into my closet, and I had to pick which flannel shirt I was going to wear. I had to open my fridge, and not decide if I could eat, but what I'm going to eat. I have a house for my car. I have a house for my lawnmower. Like, when you stop to recognize that we are among the top 1% people in the world, when it comes to the kind of blessings we have, not because we deserve it, but simply because God is good to us. He did not owe us anything. What would change if we started to recognize just how profoundly privileged we are. And here's the thing, guys. Like, our greatest need is not even for a bigger house or for a shed or more acreage or a faster car or a better job. Like, our biggest need is to have a right relationship with God and through Christ that's offered to us. And when you have this, you have more than enough. What if, when it comes to how we worship, how we come to God, you know, we're not like the Pharisees. We say, man, I just wish, you know, I wish they would start church 15 minutes later. I could sleep in a little longer. Uh, why did they have to pick these colored seats? You know, I wish they had some old-timey music here. Or it's not new enough music here. <laughs> or I wish you didn't talk so long. Or man, she's here again. What if instead of that, what if instead of having our arms crossed, we were like this woman who's just a feet kisser. But God, you're so good to me. God, you're so good to me. I gotta wake up this morning. I got a wife that still thinks I'm semi attractive. It's amazing. I got kids that still love to be around me. How good is my life? Surely my boundary lines have fallen in, in pleasant places, David said. And what if our church was marked by people who were feet kissers? What if that's how the community knew us? Not by folks who get on Facebook and complain about their community and their coach and why is the SCPS doing the thing? Or like, What if we were just known as people that are grateful? How would that change how we interact with the world? I want to ask the worship team comes back up here. And honestly, we, we intentionally just try to create some space for you spiritually to speak to God. And, and here's the idea, is that as we sing this next song, you, you're doing some business with God. Maybe you're saying, Lord, this made great sense to me and I see where I'm off fix my heart in this, or maybe you're saying, God, that didn't make any sense to me, but maybe I just need to step into gratitude a little bit in this area of your life, that the spirit of God we believe speaks through his word as we open it, and so you you would soften your heart and receive from him, and just take a moment to breathe that in, and so maybe this morning you would say, I, I actually need to repent, like I'm that person who steps through the door at home, and the first 15 minutes is nothing but me just complaining about the. Or maybe you're that person that you're down in the valley right now, and so you would say, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and I feel alone, and my health is failing, and, and I feel like there's a lot of questions and anxieties, and you would say, God, I wanna be able to thank you, maybe not for what I'm going through, but I can thank you in what I'm going through, and I wanna embrace that, I wanna see that. I want gratitude to lead the way so that I can declare to the heavens." Evil doesn't get to win over me. You want that to be your response. If you would be, simply we would stand together. Let's pray. Let the Spirit this together. God, I am a chief of sinners. I complain more often than not. But let us be people of gratitude. Simply overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy, that we would be, be sisters. God, would you walk with those who are uh, in the valley of the shadow of death, who are in the spiritual uh, depths, dark night of the soul, leading like to church fathership? God, would you allow praise just to, to erupt? okay